You're listening to the Create a Life That Is Beautiful podcast with your host, Letitia Ringe, and this is episode number four. beautiful people and welcome to episode four of the create a life that is beautiful podcast a podcast designed to inspire empower and support you on the journey of uncovering your truth and purpose in the world so everyone it's now aquarius season and the day this episode is aired we're going to be experiencing our full moon total lunar eclipse in leo I just love eclipses because any opportunity to reflect and reset excites me. And that is what they give you, particularly a time to reflect on the past six months. So have a think about what has happened over the last six months and what you were thinking about six months ago and consider what chapter might now be coming to completion for you and what you would now like to call into your life for the next six months. I also wanted to mention that now we are at the end of January, this is a wonderful time to conduct an end of month review. So have a look at some of the intentions you set, perhaps at the beginning of the new year, and check out whether you are on track or what might need to change with those intentions. And I'll be sending around a copy of my monthly review sheet in my next newsletter, which is this Sunday. So if you want a copy, make sure you are subscribed to receive my emails. And for anyone who bought a copy of my Create Your Beautiful 2018 workbook, you already have a copy of this monthly review sheet there. So make sure you check it out. I just did mine and <laughs> I'm so pleased to see that all of the top priorities I've been actually able to manifest, even though I feel like I've been in a bit of a whirlwind this January. I'm not sure if anyone else is feeling like that, but January seems to have been going on forever. And yeah, I'm really ready for February now. One of the things I wanted to launch was this podcast. And as you know, it's now out there, which I'm so excited about. And thank you for everyone for all your wonderful messages, emails, and for the people who have left reviews. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to hear that this is connected and that you're finding it super useful and yeah sometimes it can feel when you're running a blog or doing a podcast or anything where you're behind a computer and you work for yourself it can seem like nobody hearing you but so that's why it's so wonderful when people reach out it really just lights up my world and I really do appreciate it today you're going to be hearing from my friend colleague and life coach Ariadne Capsali Ariadne is a beautiful you so Certified Life Coach, which is the same life coaching academy that I'm training with. And she is also a yoga and meditation teacher with a mental health and psychology background. So if you're experiencing stress, anxiety, or want help with resilience and overwhelm, Ariadne covers the whole range of different topics, but she is an amazing person for those areas. And you'll hear me talk about this in the episode. She's had such a massive calming influence on my life. And so I just wanted to mention those there. Um, We get into some very interesting territory today. You'll have to excuse me for bumping the microphone a few times. I was getting overly excited, but that's just to show what is to come. In this episode, you will learn all 
all about what yin yoga is. So if you're like me, and you've probably heard this type of yoga being mentioned more and more recently, but not really had an idea about what it was. So Ariadne has just completed a um, yin yoga training. And so she was able to explain exactly what it is. And it's super interesting. And uh, we also hear about how Ariadne, of course, came to be doing the work that she does today. She uh, began her uh, adult life thinking that she was going to study economics and then she moved into psychology worked for the NHS over here in the UK and then she moved into studying teaching yoga and then meditation and most recently life coaching so she's a great person uh, also to hear about what the difference between life coaching and psychology is which is something we discuss we also talk about the power of intention slowing down and experience rather than intellectualizing and how to understand the difference between the intuition and fear or the ego. She also talks about the knowledge and intelligence of the body, resistance and when you need to lean in and her personal tips for getting started when you have no idea what you want to do with your life in terms of uh, purpose and fulfillment and so much more. It's a great episode and I'm so happy to now share this with you. So yeah, let's dive into the episode. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Create a Life That Is Beautiful podcast. Today, I have with me my dear friend and personal life coach, Ariadne Kapsali. She is a Beautiful You certified life coach, meditation teacher, and yoga teacher. And I can't wait for you all to meet her. So welcome to the podcast, Ariadne. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So could you, so our listeners know a little bit more about you, could you please tell us who you are and what you are in the midst of creating today? Oh, I love that. Um, So who I am, Mm. I am Ariadne, as you said. Um, I'm originally from Greece, but I've lived in London for about 15 years, I think now. So it's quite a long time. So I call both places home. Um, I grew up in Athens and I moved to London to study psychology. So I come from a background of mental health and psychology and working in the National Health Service here in the UK. Um, And then I went on to, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but I went on to um, explore the, you know, my personal practice of yoga and meditation. And that led me to open up to more and connect to just a deeper part of me and then really wanted to share that. Uh, So went on to train and it got me where I am here. (laughs) Uh, What am I creating now? Hmm. Uh, It's interesting. I'm in the middle of (sighs) creating some more workshops. So I've been doing a lot of workshops in London, but I am in the midst of transferring some of that online. So some of it will be hopefully in 2008, fingers crossed, available online, but also some more in-person retreats this year. Mm, that's so exciting. And I've been to some of your, or well, one of your workshops and I'm going to one this weekend and they are so wonderful. One thing I didn't mention is the calming influence that Ariadne has had on my own life. She has such a great energy about her 
and her workshops really embody that. And I'm sure your yoga teaching does as well. And uh, on that note, you've recently done a yin yoga training. I think some of our listeners would be really interested to know what that even is. Yeah, yin uh, yoga was, uh, the training was just an amazing experience. It, it, um, I'll tell you a little bit about what it is and the reasons why I decided to train in it. Um, so yin is sort of in relation to yang. So as we um, understand it, yang is a more active, dynamic, um, perhaps intense, if you like, a form of yoga. And yin is quite the opposite of that. It's very soft, um, very nurturing. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be easy. So a lot of the time yin poses can be quite intense for some people, depending on, on how your body is. But it really gives people the space to go into their body, um, which I've loved. So traditionally for me, I trained uh, in a very open approach. So I, I could uh, integrate a lot of uh, different types of yoga. So I didn't train in a particular style. Um, it was mostly hatha, and uh, which is more traditional. And... I, because of my own practice, I was teaching or have been teaching dynamic vinyasa, which is a flow practice, um, which is quite different because movement comes with the breath. So you're constantly moving in and out of poses. Um, I don't teach a very fast style of vinyasa. So I, as a person, I am quite, I was going to say slow, which sounds a really <laughs> weird thing to say, um, but I am you know, I do take more time to get into poses and I encourage people to do the same and breathe into a pose. Um, so yin felt like the natural evolution of that. Um, and I'm very excited about it. I mean, I learned so much. It's like a, it's like a teaser into meditation for people as well. So, you know, for those of you that are not uh, practicing meditation and perhaps are a little scared or unsure about how it feels you know yin is a way of connecting with the body but also going a little deeper into perhaps you know uh, that quiet space um, so postures are in the on the floor usually um, and they're supported usually by uh, props or like blocks or uh, but again not necessarily depends on the teacher and you hold postures for about five minutes <laughs> which can be quite a lot um, but a lot of the time it just feels so nice to be there. Mm. And it's a really gentle way of holding the postures, mm. right? Rather than, um, I don't know what, what the name of the practice is, but those ones where it would be really strenuous, This it is more of a gentle. Yeah, absolutely. It's really gentle. It's meant to not have any or very little muscular engagement. So it's going deeper beyond the muscles. So it's meant to, by holding the pose for so long without engaging the muscle, um, it's meant to go deeper into the connective tissue, the fascia, um, and soften and make more space in that way. Oh, that's so beautiful. So the word that comes up um, to me is intentional and not slow when, when you talk yes. about yourself and everything that you do. It, yeah, that intentional. But were you always intentional as a person, do you think? Mm, that is a very good question. Um, I think on some level, yes, but it was unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> 
or perhaps I was quite unaware of it. I remember as a child, I was very self, uh, you know, self-aware, but in a good way. Not I was also self-conscious in many ways, but I um, relied a lot on my own mind and my own imagination to... Um, you know, to entertain myself. So my, I remember my sister always made fun of me that, you know, I was in the car and basically sang to myself and like um, told stories in my head or kind of out loud. So there was always that, you know, awareness that I could take care of myself, um, which in some ways sounds sad. It's not that I had an unhappy childhood or I needed to develop that skill. I actually had a really great family. Um but it was, I think, naturally, I came, you know, I returned to myself to um, for a lot of perhaps some of the knowledge or, you know, decision making that needed to happen. Um, so to answer your question, in a way, I think I have been intentional, but definitely along the way, I've lost that. So I've sort of veered off and really sought um, external, you know, validation and um just really got disconnected from that inner knowledge um and it's just interesting to you know notice when that happens Mm -hmm. and find ways to come back yeah that whenever you your intuition or your inner wisdom has a way of letting you know when you're off track (laughs) and uh yeah it's it sometimes they can be really significant almost slaps in the faces but I mean, the beauty that comes out of it after once you do pivot and take notice is just incredible in my experience. But let's go back for a moment. I like to work in a linear fashion. (laughs) (laughs) So um, when you decided to move into psychology, um, what were sort of what were what were you thinking your life would look like then? Mm. Well, funnily enough, when I, um, in my last two years of high school, when we had to pick, you know, what we would go into eventually, um, I had this, I remember doing all these, like, um, what are they called? Like career tests or aptitude tests? Are they, is that what yeah. they're called? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they all came out with some sort of humanities or being with people and holding space. I can't remember officially what, um, so, uh, some of the, the suggested professions were, but, um, I was really resisting because my mum is a psychologist. So <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes, she's a child psychologist. Uh, she works in a school in the school that I went to as well. Um, so of course, as a child, you know, I was just like, I I admired my mum, but I was like, no, I can't. I obviously can't do the same as what she does. Um, so I picked economics. Now, this is the most foreign concept for me. I mean, I do really like maths. I can't do it anymore, but I remember enjoying it. Um, So it kind of, you know, in a way made sense on that level, but not in any other way. Um, And I remember starting the semester, you know, on the... I was doing the International Baccalaureate. um, And for, I think I did two months, and then I realized this is just not going to work. I just did not have any interest or desire to learn anymore so I remember I don't remember the actual process of choosing psychology but I I, I think I, it was one of those moments where I intuitively knew that I had to switch my I guess what's called major to psychology um, so I had quite a you know 
quite a wide understanding of what psychology was because of my mum she was doing something a bit different so I always imagined myself to be sort of a hippie therapist eventually with like you know a comfortable couch and like lots of sort of colors around and you know just sitting on the couch with um not in a sort of Freudian manner but like in a really you know, comfortable and familiar way with with clients um, and just holding space. And I I remember sort of wanting to have that space where I could bring people um, in and and, you know, just give them the tools to understand themselves a little more. Um, it was um, it took quite a while to to lose that image, actually, because I did lose it for, you know, when I moved here and I actually went on to study the real psychology and, mm-hmm. you know, work with patients. I, I, I forgot I, I wanted this, actually. I hadn't thought about this for a while. Mm-hmm. So thank you for bringing that back. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, that's so interesting because uh, really what you've ended up doing is exactly what was driving you in the beginning to even go into psychology. So I just wanted to pause there anyway, so that was a great moment too. Um, with the uh, with the intuitive nudge that you got, could could you just sort of explain in your own words what that feels like for someone who might be um, just not feeling connected to intuition or to on just not understanding what it is because it is a difficult topic and it's hard to explain. So it'd be great to just as best as you can, um, what that sort of feels like or is to you? Mm. Um, I think for a long time, the word intuition was, I found it really intimidating. Um, and I think a lot of people do as well in the sense that we're, you know, we feel like we're supposed to, to feel something or even get some sort of clear voice in our heads that tells us what to do. And, um, I didn't feel that at all um so for a long time I I felt disconnected because I thought that it should be something almost separate that I would you know really um know that it's a a clear instruction you know do this don't do that um and what I've come to understand is that intuition or you know I I often call it you know a gut feeling a lot of people um connect with that more um I often think about it as a more of a physical thing. Um, So my intuition usually speaks to me in sensations. And it's usually for me, you know, I often understand things in opposites. So there's a sense of contracting, and I know a lot of people relate to that. There's a sense of contracting when something doesn't feel right. So we, we tend to protect ourselves, you know, our body kind of sort of curls up a little to protect the you know the heart space um because it feels like we want to keep ourselves safe from whatever threat we're perceiving um even you know and and that sometimes happens when big things that are exciting may be coming up but it's in a often in a different way so that contraction for me is is a way that my intuition or my gut feeling says "Mm, there's something not quite right here The opposite of that is the feeling of um, openness. So when things are perhaps feeling easy in your body, 
um, you might still have, you know, when you're excited, you get palpitations in your heart. You might still have that knot in your throat because it's exciting, but it's also quite scary, especially when you're when you're challenging mm-hmm. yourself. Um, so it doesn't mean that your intuition will, you know, will just. You should do things that only when it feels very easy. It's not. It's not about that. But I think you're, you know, you're being guided towards the things that feel like they're flowing or they feel like they're you know they're helping you feel more open um and for me what I've learned is to follow that feeling of ease but not easy so there's that challenge you know trying to decipher between okay this feels too easy and therefore perhaps I'm just dropping back into my comfort zone which is okay but not all the time um and then also Finding that space where you feel good. So choosing, continuing to choose things that make you feel good, but in a way that is also uh, expansive. Mm. Uh, so I hope that kind of answers your question. That does. I, I love that uh, you brought up that distinction between fear and um, excitement or challenging yourself. Uh, and so the obvious anxiety that you get from stepping out of your comfort zone uh, compared with maybe the intuition telling you that something isn't right and not to go in that direction. That's a really hard distinction to make for a lot of people. And I've struggled with that myself, but as I've connected more to my own body and intuition, I've become better at that. But that I love that um, the, if it's expansion or you're excited about it is the way to tell the difference. I always, uh, what I try to do is journal or something and find out, okay, why am I feeling scared? What is this? Is it because I'm stepping out and I'm being seen in a way that I wasn't before? Or is it because there's something there that's just doesn't feel right, that, that it could be some some warning? And that is difficult because when you're afraid, you'll um, come up with any excuses to not um, expand. Yeah, <laughs> So absolutely. I think that that's a really good point. And I don't think there's a formula for that. You know, mm. I think that we have to make mistakes in, in inverted commas. It's not... I think that we learn by experiencing and not by, you know, intellectualizing. So as a natural overanalyzer of everything, I know very well how the mind can bring up all these excuses and all these reasons why you shouldn't do something or you're not ready to do something. And often there's a part that, you know, part of your intuition that agrees. So there are times when, you know, we are not ready to do certain things. Um... But the ego is much louder, you know, that that mind chatter that tends to be repetitive and and um, quite unhelpful and often quite toxic. It it will be much louder than your intuition. Um, and this is another thing that I always come back to. If what you're feeling is actually um, if what you're noticing rather is actually thoughts, you know, quite loud um, phrases or you know um, doubts then it's usually not the intuition speaking um, I think for me at least it's intuition doesn't speak in words mm. it speaks in sensations or feelings or maybe even external events like I start to notice things that I didn't notice before and I interpret that as a way that okay this is this has to come into my awareness now since I'm noticing it um, when it's 
loud sort of fears about you know what would happen if this happened or what if I you know what if I am not good enough or what if this person doesn't like me this is not my intuition speaking this is my ego Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's quite a good uh, way of of differentiating between the two yeah that's great and uh, another point I wanted to make is about your mother being a child psychologist and you sort of um, rebelling in a way by wanting to do something completely different and going into economics I think that's something that a lot of people would do and actually just I reflected on my own journey as you're talking about that and Um, I went into law and I did that because I wanted to have a serious career, even though I actually really wanted to be a child psychologist. It was, (laughs) yeah, I, I had like a mentor for child psychology and, but I wanted to, um, yeah, because I just wanted to have a really serious career and that was a way of rebelling against, I think my family in some ways, but I just think that's really interesting to note for people because when you're forced to choose something at such a young age, uh, you know, these are the, these are the, <laughs> the things you, uh, that motivate you. And I think that's really important to just reflect on why, it, what is really influencing you? Is it something to do with either rebelling or is it a way of proving yourself to the people around you? Or is it really coming from this place of this is what I'm really curious about or interested in? And um, yeah, I I just want to learn more. And actually um, that curiosity, I think that's a really big indication that that is the intuition guiding you, that um, those little taps of inspiration. I want to check this out. I want to do this. And that's a lot softer than passion for Mm -hmm. people, which can be, I think that's just really helpful. How, how, how have you found curiosity and intuition? Uh, do you think that they're linked or what are your thoughts on that? Um, I just, I, could I just say something about what you've just said about, you know, choosing at such a young age? I think it's, I think it's so difficult <laughs> for most of us. And uh, even now I often say, I wish that I was someone that, you know, knew that this is the one career I want and forever knew that this is the path for me and this just has not been the case um and I think this is the difficulty with a lot of the advice out there to find your passion and it you know we often think that it's this one thing like the holy grail that we're looking for and we you know if we don't haven't found it then we feel like somehow we're lacking um and it's just I think it's just so unhelpful um I think there's there is a small amount out there of people that you know they've just always wanted to be a lawyer they always wanted to be a doctor and that's great and they go on this path um and when they get to do that work then they're happy but there's all this you know the rest of us that are choosing based on as you say different factors that we're you know, at 17, we're mostly unaware of. Um, I think I chose economics as a rebellion in a way, which is a weird rebellion. But, you know, <laughs> at the same time, I, I chose it because I thought, ah, I, I really want to make sure that I'm supported financially. So what a great way, you know, to study mm. economics. Um, completely oblivious to, you know, what it actually means to, you know, study economics. What would I end up doing? I had no idea. Um, so I think you're, you know, to go back to your question, curiosity and intuition for me, let me just think about that. I think for me, 
curiosity is a way to cultivate my intuition. So it's a, it's a practice. Um, there are some people uh, that are naturally curious mm-hmm. um, and I admire that skill now uh, mm-hmm. or that trait. Um, and I tend to be much... I tend to be very um, respectful in the sense that I don't want to pry. So I often don't ask questions. Mm. So when I meet people, I want to make sure they feel comfortable. So I will make space for them, but I will not kind of push too much, too hard until mm. I feel that they're ready, um, which is good in some ways. But in other ways, it means that I often don't get to find out things. Um, and I've recently... Um, observed my little sister um she's not little anymore so she, if she's listening to this eventually she'll probably say i'm not little anymore <laughs> uh anyway um but she naturally asks many questions and she is curious in ways that allow her to then experience so much more uh, so i'm learning a lot from her um and i think this is the, you know for people that are not naturally curious it's a great way to connect to your intuition because once you start you know exploring things experiences um that you you know you're not aware of it puts you in that space of you know of the new of uncertainty which can be a bit scary and challenging but it's uh triggering that connection with a deeper part of you that then responds to see you know do i like this how am i feeling um and it you enter a, a space where you're not controlling the situation it's still safe most of the, you know depending on what you're doing of course but it's um it's a scenario where you're able to just notice you know your natural response um and i feel that brings you closer to yourself mm, that's so great there's so many points there <laughs> um, i love um that you mentioned about feeling like you need to find the one when it comes to your career. And that was something that just like drove me insane in some ways as a, well, for, for a lot of my life, actually as an adult. And uh, I just, I was also in search of that. What is that one passion? I was passionate about a lot of things. I, I would use the word passionate, but I couldn't figure out like, well, which one is the one? I just want to figure out what the one is. Well, what is my path? And instead of following my curiosity at in that moment and what was what I was really interested about, I tr- would try to, um, I, I thought I needed to pick one. And so that became such a pressure because then once you're on a path and you realize that, okay, I'm curious or interested or passionate about other things that I want to explore, but you are already, you know, a couple of years in, um, it's like chasing your losses. You're like, how, how far do I keep going? When do I cut loose? And it just becomes really difficult. So what I've learned is to um, just ignore all of that and follow your follow your interests in that moment. Like what is in, most interesting to you? Because that is most important, I believe. And yeah, so I just wanted to tap on that. And then also about curiosity um, in itself, about being a curious person and asking mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, I think um, I completely understand where you're coming from. And I think that's, that's um, because we're sensitive to how it makes other people feel. 
but also you don't um, learn anything by not asking. So there's that balance. And I've been the same. I like to be really respectful of other people's and how they're feeling. And I can pick up on how someone, um, like someone's energy and whether it's the right moment to ask. But sometimes that means you're just, it's heightened. Mm. And my older brother actually is just incredible at connecting with anyone. He's amazing. And he also does it in a way that's really respectful, but he isn't afraid to ask questions. So I've always admired him too. And I've been trying to be more curious as well. And also I think give up that need of being an expert so need of um feeling like you need to you might be asking like a silly question because that and that's something Brene Brown talks about in her new book Braving the Wilderness um we don't ask questions as a as a um culture or society like across many because we have this idolization of the expert and no one wanting to appear like they don't know and so I've really been trying to sort of use that perspective to ask questions and it's been really interesting actually it's actually it's it's motivated me a lot more so yeah anyway how about we talk about how you moved from then psychology to life after psychology what happened well, um, my first job uh, after graduating um, was in uh, forensic mental health. So I was in a psychiatric hospital, which was actually a sort of a prison. Um, so that was my first formal experience of working in, uh, you know, an application of psychology. Um, it was a really hard experience. I learned so much and I'm very happy that I have done that I stayed there for a year um and throughout that year I needed um I needed to take care of myself and this is probably the first time I knew that my natural way of you know taking care of myself was not enough um and this is when I remember going much more deeper into my yoga practice so I want to say deeper I just mean I committed to it more um so yoga was there a while before um but it was probably in within that year that I felt the need to go into that space where I felt safe where I felt like I um I connected with myself but also it gave me that perspective because it was a really hard um you know re it was a reality check you know being with people who will probably never come back to the community um who had really difficult experiences in their life and that caused them to uh, commit crimes and um also being in a position where you want to help but you can't um and yoga and eventually meditation taught me to, you know, to manage that discomfort um, or I'm still learning that, but, you know, gave me some tools um, in learning how to manage discomfort, how to self-regulate, how to um, understand emotion on a different way, you know, because I had the psychology, so I had the theory, but really I, had, I didn't have the personal experience um, of managing difficult emotions. So um, to cut a long story short, this is when I, you know, I realized, okay, there's a whole world out there um, that links to the body. And um, I grew up in a 
relatively academic slash intellectual, you know, uh, environment. And we, none of us were particularly sporty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it, I think I prioritized intellect over the body. Um, And having spent a lot of time in academia and also still back then thinking that I would end up doing a PhD or, or continue somehow, you know, in research, then I I never really, it never occurred to me to explore the body in that way. Um, and slowly I started realizing that there's this whole world that I, that I am not aware of and I, I would love to be able to bring that in as part of therapy, if you want to call it that, or some, something. So, something was telling me there's more there to to understand and and to go into um so eventually uh i decided to do my teacher training here in london as a yoga teacher um and that was uh that came probably about five years after this or four years after that um and um it was probably one of the best experiences mm-hmm. uh, ever it was 18 months um it was really tough I still worked full-time um and I slowly started t- teaching after that or still while training and after that um and I think the more I taught and the more I developed my own practice um the more I realized that psychology as it was practiced right now here and within the NHS um was was not enough in terms of what I wanted to be doing with people. Um, there were, you know, I, I wanted to be in a position to bring tools from yoga and meditation and other pr- practices that I was using. Um, and I also wanted to eventually work with people who were perhaps um, not in, in a clinical population. Um, so eventually it became quite clear that I didn't, um need to be in the environments that I was choosing to be um and there's a side point here if, it, if it's mm-hmm. okay to make which relates to what you were talking about before you know choosing to do the most serious thing or the hard thing and the 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 jobs I was choosing and the experiences that I thought I should have it, it was almost an attempt to prove that I could do the hardest thing. Um, so I put myself in all these situations and I learned loads and I'm grateful for that. But I now know it came out of a, you know, a fear that I wasn't enough, that what I perhaps I was called to do or, you know, I was curious about wasn't serious enough, wouldn't be taken as seriously as, you know, working in a hospital or doing all the other things that I ended up doing um so eventually (laughs) this is a really long story um eventually I you know I started exploring the possibility of moving out of the path of psychology and doing you know bringing all of that together and I really wanted um still coming from that academic background I really wanted to be you know to be safe in doing so so I wanted to still have a profession um, and the training to bring you know to put the skills together and then from there to create something that felt more like me um, so I came across the beautiful you coaching academy quite a few times before I decided to do the training um, I explored life coaching for a couple of years before I trained um, and um, eventually did the training 
and about two and a half years ago I uh, left my uh, last uh, job in the National Health Service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well that's and how long had you been there at, by that stage? Uh, over I mean in overall it would be about 10 years yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. wow and how did you find that um, that transition from leaving was it hard or was it like just everything was like it's time because it was not a spontaneous decision to leave um, it felt like it was the right time it was very scary mm-hmm. um, and I, I remember six months after leaving I was like what the hell am I doing? Um, you know, for the first time I was out on my own, didn't have a boss, didn't have a salary. Um, so, but it, it did feel like it was, it was the time to go. Okay. And when you moved into yoga was, um, so did you, did, sorry, when you started practicing yoga regularly, did you do that as a way to like cope with, um, the stress of the job? Would, would that have been one of the primary motivations? Yes, absolutely. I, it was, it became the way that I exercised. I didn't really like the gym. I attempted it many times. So it was initially, you know, what, brought me to it was the physical exercise but then I stayed for the you know the stress relief yeah 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 it's it's just amazing I found the um role that yoga plays for many people in overcoming like anxiety depression stress or having it using it as a relief from any of those conditions Um, I've experienced that myself so yeah, I just wanted to know how then, like, what did yoga teach you? Um, the first thing it taught me was that I have a body and it has a wealth of knowledge, mm-hmm. um, which I was not at all connected to. Um, and I remember the first time I went into like a deep backbend and I cried um, in class and it was just a release of emotion. It didn't, and I didn't even have the need to talk about it, mm-hmm. which was very strange for me because I, you know, as I said before, I tend to analyze everything and want to understand everything on an intellectual level. Um, but my, you know, my body was doing something else um, and that was enough. So my mind was calm in a way. Um, and from there, it just taught me that, you know, there doesn't have to be a separation between the body and the mind and uh, beyond. And it's obviously, I'm still exploring that. I I think there's so many layers to understand and, mm-hmm. and feel into that. But it, I think yoga has been, you know, my sanctuary in the sense that you know, I resisted a lot. That's how I know it's so important to me as well. So I do still have to push myself to commit on a physical level. Um, it's much easier for me to still intellectualize even yoga, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but showing up again and again on the mat is a challenge that I, you know, and that is another lesson in itself. Um, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, why do you commit to things that are um, good for you and what brings you back and you know is it does it mean something that I don't have the motivation to come back I don't think it does it just means that we're you know I'm human and mm. there's certain things that I just have to um, 
help myself do. Mm. And so let's talk a little bit more about um, what you just mentioned there about resistance and about needing when you need to lean into the resistance and also um, about when you need to like surrender or relinquish control. (laughs) Yes. Well, um, well, big topics. (laughs) Where do I start? Um, I mean, with resistance, it's, it's, you know, it's there all the time. Um, and resistance, I guess, is a way that, um, fear manifests, Mm. you know? So we're afraid that something is either too big, too much, or too, you know, too important. And therefore there's a risk involved that we will fail at it. Um, or perhaps we are afraid that it's uh, we're going to be too exposed, too vulnerable. I mean, they're all similar fears. Mm. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Brenna Brown and she talks a lot about, obviously, the need to belong. Mm. And a lot of the fears that I've noticed that I have, and I know a lot of my clients do, is that fear of being, you know, being alone, being separated, being judged. Mm. Um, and resistance then comes for me comes up uh, a lot as a result of that fear so I resist doing things that um, are either challenging because they're exposing um, but I also as I said before resist things that perhaps make me feel good Mm -hmm. which is really a weird concept to understand but as humans you know we are um, in a way we want to be comfortable. Um, so when we are used to a situation, uh, whether it's a good situation or a relatively not so good situation, if we're used to it, it we almost, you know, un- subconsciously will choose to stay in it, um, we, you know, over challenging and changing because change is very scary. So resistance comes up when you know, perhaps we're creating a change. Mm. Um, and it's, I think resistance comes up a lot when there's a fear of, okay, I have no idea what's going to happen. Mm. So I'd rather not go there. And, you know, when I, when I say this, you know, it's very important to understand that we don't choose this consciously. We're not aware that we're choosing slight, dis- uh, slight you know, being unhappy over you know, not knowing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps, on a, you know, we're often on an automatic pilot. We're not really sure, you know, we, we do things without recognizing, you know, the, the roots of that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and slowly starting to, to recognize, okay, well, um, what are my habitual patterns here? Oh, yeah, I tend to, you know, when I, um, when I notice that I... Uh, something's about to change, something big is going to happen, an opportunity is coming up. Oh, I tend to eat loads of chocolate or (laughs) I tend to, you know, just go out and and drink loads. And that, that perhaps bring me back to, brings me back to a level of, I have to focus on being a bit uncomfortable and therefore don't have to focus on the scary big thing that's coming up. Mm. And do, do, do you think that meditation was really helpful for being able to um, have that awareness or build that awareness? Um, a resistance, uh, I understood it first with the physical practice mm. of yoga. And that was because it came up as a uh, commentary in my head when I was trying to do uh, poses. 
So uh, eventually, yes, meditation did uh, obviously uh, address that as well. But the first experience was that, mm. you know, it being in a pose and, you know, fighting internally, you know, oh, I can go deeper or oh, she's doing it better than me. Uh, oh, I did it last week. Why can I not do it now? Or I'm so tired. I don't want to do any of this. Mm. Um, why am I here? Uh, oh, I don't like this teacher. Oh my gosh, just that the yoga classroom is like such a good representation of life. <laughs> so absolutely. <laughs> I'd never thought about all of that, but just all the thoughts that even go through your head in just one yoga practice. You know, the I love um, when the teachers say, you know, don't look at the person next to you. Feel your own body. What does your body need? How far can you go? What's safe for you? And that was just amazing to me because... In most gyms, you're told to, you know, just keep pushing yourself. You know, everybody's competing with one another and then people get injured and, um, you know, there's consequences that are different for different people. And yeah, so I love love that, that yoga is really, it it does build that awareness because you've got nowhere to run to. You're, Mm. you know, you you're listening, you can hear all of your thoughts really loudly. And especially when you are trying, there's also the voice that I can't do that. I'm no, I'm not good enough. I can't do that going in your head as well. So yeah, that's really interesting. I never heard of that. Mm. And, um, I never thought about it. And so then with meditation, how did that build into your journey? Mm. Well, I came into meditation, uh, through the practice of breath. So in, in yoga, you, you know, the first thing that I personally like to teach people is how to breathe. Um, for me, the the poses are secondary. So I then started to explore um, pranayama, so breathing um, practice much more um, focused. And I think I was naturally attracted to meditation just because I do like being quiet. I do like, I am naturally introspective. Um and it just became that space for me to um, to bring all of that together. Mm. Um, it, it, I naturally need the quiet. Um, often meditation is not quiet at all, as you said. And mm-hmm. you know, in your head, you have, you know, with yoga, you can still get distracted, mm. um, and that's why it's a it, it's a nicer way into something like that. But meditation that's where you have nowhere to go and um again it's something that i resist um but it's probably the most important tool now in in my life um and it's just taught me to one how you know that i we need to persevere and commit to things um to that it doesn't matter whether you understand it, you actually have to practice it mm-hmm. for it to have an effect, um, which is so important when, when, you know, when you're perhaps starting to explore all of this, you know, self-development and, you know, we read all these books, but really then you have to go in and practice it and apply it on yourself and, and see how you feel. Um, it also taught me that things change all the time. Um, so being about, you know, being aware of that change, that my thoughts change, my emotions change, how my body feels change, uh, and therefore my environment changes, you know, mm-hmm. it is just 
slowly getting used to that continuous you know movement um but still being able to return to a space within that I feel steady and I feel grounded and I um I'm not pulled in so many different directions Mm. um and it's it's a skill it's not I don't believe that you ever you know master meditation um Mm. perhaps someone you know really enlightened might be but um i think the majority of us living in the normal world is just a skill that we you know we keep practicing yeah and so and what about so you um you've done your meditation and your yoga and you've got your life coaching and so there's it's so beautiful because as you start to feel a desire for something more or another way to expand or maybe it's something that you're practicing and so you want to deepen your own practice and and then teach your um, your knowledge to others is like how has that have you found being in an area where you can there's so much room to evolve your as a person and as yourself really freeing or I'm it's a leading question but like how is that compared to being in within um, an industry where it's just a lot more narrow even though there are of course so many options within that but how has that how have you found that Mm, I think it's a great question Um, because I I think one of the reasons why I decided to you know uh, move away from psychology was that sense that I, um, the way that I had to do my job was quite um, structured. And that was because of what I was doing. Um, As you say, there's plenty of other options um, and there's freedom within it. But at at the place where I am now, it has felt freeing, to use your word. Um, It it is very scary because I have full responsibility Mm -hmm. over what I do and there's no one to blame. Um, You, you, you can't complain about the boss not allowing you to do things you (laughs) want to do um and that at the same time means that um you you kind of have to choose what and as a life coach is a very interesting you have to choose what you keep for yourself and what you decide to share and what you decide to as you say um evolve as part of your you know your work Mm um and this is quite a big, quite a big thing in my life now that I I am naturally uh, open in the sense that I, I do like to share about what I've practiced and what I'm trying. Um, but I'm also playing with uh, keeping certain things for me. Mm. Um, and it's just, a, yeah, it's an interesting experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. That is. And so what do you, is there any advice that you would give your younger self knowing what you do today? And I'm not saying that you'd change anything because you wouldn't be exactly where you are today, but is there any advice you would give your younger self? I, uh, I've thought about this a lot, um, over time because I, I was not, um, I think I looked, I seemed quite confident, but I had a lot of doubt within and I didn't trust myself. Um, I perhaps made decisions that uh, were right, if you, you know, if you're thinking about right or wrong, or that led me somewhere which was helpful. Um, But I would, you know, I would suggest suggest is a very easy I would really encourage my old self you know my younger self to be um to have more fun and to um 
to return back to what we're saying to be more curious and Mm -hmm. to trust herself more and to you know just do things because they feel good and to explore what feels good because I think when we're young we just don't really know what feels good um and um yeah to to just play more Mm -hmm. I mean that was such a big you know I was I was very serious um (laughs) and I wanted to do the more serious like you said I wanted to do the more serious thing and um it it just it just meant that I was you know I ended up feeling disconnected yeah I love that you mentioned fun Mm. because and it's all sort of connected to that uh because you know if there's only a certain amount of time we think to be a child and we don't realize that you know we can still have fun and play and bring those elements into our life as an adult and actually when we do that we um, uh, we our eyes are more open to opportunities that are going to bring joy into our life because we're actively practicing that and i yeah i just felt like as an adult i needed to be so serious and um, it's been really interesting on my own journey. What really helped me was actually reflecting on what I loved doing as a child. Like, yeah. what did I want to do to play? And yeah, it's how, what, what have you found? Like, have you, have there been moments on your own journey where you've reflected on what you loved as a child? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's so much information there. Um, because we, as we grow up, you know, we're, we're, we're just, veered in directions aren't we we just um we learn to listen to external criticism and you know um often feedback is not uh given in a helpful way Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not constructive at all but we still learn using that um that that way of um communication that sense that we're you know we're not good enough and therefore we're not focusing on our strengths we're focusing on the things that are not good um and we therefore keep looking out for answers um you know we're looking for evidence about what other everybody else is doing so that we can also fit in um so we get so much you know as as children um we are naturally uh you know, we respond to what we, you know, what is internally interesting. Mm. Um, you know, you, children, I guess, very early on at school, then start to pay attention to what they're supposed to do and slowly, you know, start to understand that there is all this um, advice and rules and all of that. But still, naturally, they are curious and they learn by doing. Um, and I think that in my um as i uh especially in my teenage years i was so afraid of being judged i was so uh worried about giving the right impression um and really concerned about other people's opinions and i took all of that in my um adult life and i still i still do so this is something that i you know I I'm working on um and just going back to when you know I was a child and remembering the things that really brought me joy and and as I said at the beginning you know I spent so much time in my own world my imagination was just amazing you know I had um, you know I had all these like toys and I would build cities in in my room and and just play on my own for hours and you know I realized how much little imagination I use now Mm. um 
So that's, yeah, absolutely. Going back and trying to remember what brought you joy and, and what you were attracted to is, I think, so valuable. And as now being your own boss and running your own business, it, that's although it's challenging and there's a lot of um, practical sides to it all, but that's um, also an outlet for you, for your creativity and to use your imagination. So that's um, interesting that that's where you've ended up. And I think a lot of people think they're not creative, but we all have it within us. Absolutely. I think that, you know, you can be creative in all sorts of different ways. Mm. It's not just about paint, putting, you know, um, paint on a canvas. Being an artist. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. So, I mean, I'm, I know we've got to wrap it up soon <laughs> and there's just so much we could talk about. The, the, the last thing I wanted to mention on your journey or have you speak about was... Um, the like difference between psychology and life coaching like sort of what were what what were your motivations there or um what's the you know the the main why behind the life coaching Mm, um well life coaching uh is a very positive and forward-looking approach um some aspects of psychology have that um but i was within clinical areas of psychology so my focus when I decided to train as a life coach was to work with people who um, wanted want to go deeper and understand themselves but use that information in order to create a life that they you know love living and they uh, feel aligned with and they find meaningful so some aspects of psychology, of course, you know, a psychology is about understanding yourself. But the, the main difference between what I used to do and what I do now is that with psychology, you know, you tend to you tend to go back over things and understand and process through discussion and analysis. Um, part of what I was also doing was help people who were not functioning, you know, they couldn't function day to day. Um in in my last job I work with people with you know anxiety and uh clinical anxiety and and depression um and that meant that I was helping them manage some symptoms in order to be able to then function day to day um and although that was really useful and um I learned a lot it felt like I wanted to give people a bit more than that um so life coaching now allows me to perhaps on some level work with people who need some support on you know managing some symptoms but I you know I don't do therapy in that way so the focus is much more on you know empowering people to take control over what's happening in their lives um and at the same time relinquish control which Mm. is what you mentioned before um and perhaps not go from not functioning to functioning but from perhaps being in a place where they are functioning but wanting to feel better wanting to feel more um that they're doing something more meaningful uh that they are more connected that they are you know happy Mm -hmm. um funnily enough in my previous job we never talked about happiness you know Mm -hmm. it wasn't part of the picture um which is just interesting um it was all about just being able to function day to day to survive to survive yeah oh, that's such a um, that's such a 
good distinction between the two actually about yeah the, the focus is uh, for life coaching really about how could I have the you know my best most fulfilled life possible yeah. like that's what the all the coaching courses talk about being the focus whereas yeah psychology is about how can I just um, how can I function with this world and the way it is so that's really interesting I and and of course you would draw on all of your experience in what you do as a life coach, which is something that's so beautiful with life coaching and especially with the um, Beautiful You coaching course. I can't speak for other courses, but they really make a point of drawing on your experience. And, and that's what makes all the people who go through the course and then go on to be life coaches so different because they have their own life experience or skills and gifts. And then they focus on those areas and it's, and bring it all together it's really beautiful mm. um anyway side note <laughs> is so my last question on um this area is um just you've given so much amazing advice to to all of our listeners but if there was like a one of your top tips that you would give to someone who's listening who might be saying okay, I've just got no idea what I want to do with my life, but I really, really, really want to do something like, you know, I'm ready. I want to live my best, most fulfilled life possible. Like what could I do to Mm. get started? Uh, That's a a really good question. I would say, um, I would say acknowledge the fears. So perhaps use journaling, you know, write down the things that you're kind of concerned about the things that come in your mind about what if I don't find the thing that I will love doing um what if I'm not good enough all of that um and then see if you can put that to the side and then start from okay well what makes me happy you know how what are the things that I love doing uh and it may just be simple things like I love having you know um coffee in my balcony in the morning um or i love you know painting the 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 living room wall pink or whatever it doesn't matter so it doesn't have to be something that relates to a profession um this is one of the biggest things i've learned you know everything is related we you know we're taught to separate Mm. you know this is personal life this is work life yes in some ways we of course we have we need boundaries but when you're trying to figure out what brings you alive it's it's that that you need you know it's that excitement that happiness the the things that bring you joy that will you know that contain the information about perhaps what uh you would like to to do as your work Mm-hmm. that's so that's just amazing advice like honestly see this is why <laughs> Ariadne is just the best life coach ever and I'm Aww. so lucky to work with her um I also want to ask you now a personal question just my the whole create a life that is beautiful for me is about creating a life that you love enjoy and are inspired by so I'd love to know what inspires you today Oh, um, what inspires me today? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> mm. You know, um, what has been inspiring me, uh, and it's been like a, a pattern or 
a kind of theme over the past year has been my dog. <laughs> I know, it's like not a surprise that I'm mentioning her. But oh, no. <laughs> it's just, you know, I've learned so much from spending time with a dog that's, um, you know, that's not the easiest dog in the world. <laughs> but she's taught me so much about, you know, being curious and being alive and playing and still being a little bit um, unsure about new situations and just observing how she responds um, it has just taught me so much so it's, it's actually I, I can call her um, you know the current inspiration because it's mm. just it, it just helps me you know being with her frustrates me a lot of the time but um, it also means that I'm very present Mm. oh I want a dog so much (laughs) (laughs) you can borrow mine (laughs) that's so cool and so the final question today is just what's in store for Ariadne for 2018 and I know that you said workshops but um, if you could just expand a little more that would be awesome well um I really want to um bring those you know the workshops and the daily retreats that I've been running in London to um to hold more space so my plan is to run um now I have to be held accountable since I'm saying this uh (laughs) to run a couple of actual um either week or, or long weekend retreats um and to bring people together and you know it will include yoga it will include coaching and and meditation and other things and um this is a big part of 2018 for me um and yeah personally just still exploring where we um move to (laughs) (laughs) yes it's a big (laughs) yeah it's a big decision to make there well that all sounds wonderful and i can't wait to see what you create or continue to create and to be along uh, there for your journey and i just want to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all your wisdom with all of our listeners and also myself it's been so lovely and yeah i'm just honored to have you here oh thank you so much it's been so wonderful and it's uh, thank you for the opportunity to actually you know actually reflect and spend time talking about all of this thank you So there it is, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this incredible conversation with Ariadne. You can find her work over at www.ariadnecapsali.com. That's A-R-I-A-D-N-E-K-A-P-S-A-L-I. And you can also connect with Ariadne on Instagram at Ariadne Capsali. You can find the show notes for this episode over at www.letisharinj.com forward slash Ariadne Capsali. And if you're based in London, check out her um, half day or day retreats. They're awesome. And for any future life coaches, you can find out more about the Beautiful You Coaching Academy over at www.beautifulyoucoachingacademy.com. So guys, what's next? Well, I'm about to leave for a five rhythms, full moon, women's only evening to rein in the power of the full moon. So I'm super excited to use this energy to shake out all that I want to leave behind and welcome the next chapter in of my own evolution and expansion. 
which includes as of Sunday, I'm now qualified as a theta healer. And I'll be sharing more about what that is shortly. But basically, it's given me so much to think about and uh, so much more confidence in my own empathetic and intuitive abilities. If you're interested in hearing more about my own new moon and full moon rituals, let me know and I will share. If you haven't left a review, guys, please, 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 could you leave a review on iTunes if at all possible, otherwise on SoundCloud or Stitcher. It helps me out so much and I've been receiving so many wonderful messages. So I know there's uh, so many great things to be said there uh, that would be perfect for a review and really help me getting this podcast out to those that it can help. All right, everyone. Um, You can also subscribe for my weekly Create a Life That Is Beautiful newsletter over at my website. And otherwise, please have a wonderful week and I'll see you on the next episode next week with more tools to help you unlock your truth and purpose. 